Wrestling is fake news. Hi, this is WWE Hall of Famer Tony Atlas, and I, I, this is my first time doing this. I feel real good about it. Uh, I got a helper here, uh, Larry Hunter, and then I got Marty on the other land, and when I run in trouble, he would help me. Like I said, this is my first time. You can see I'm at my heart. I got my favorite girl, Chana, right here beside me. Got me press slamming somebody, a little action figure. So we're going to start this off. Now, in school, one of the things that I would really, really like to do is because of uh, I live in America, and I'm very proud of being in America, and I miss the USA. So I'm going to start off like this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the public for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. God bless the USA. Now, a lot of people uh, over the years, I'm sure y'all hear a lot of stuff about wrestlers. But I was just talking to Larry and Marty the other day. I said, you know, I read some stuff on the paper about guys that I travel with, like Ric Flair and Wahoo McDaniel, Clarnack Bill. And I never knew much about them until I went to Wikilink and found out uh, stuff about them. But I don't want y'all to go to Wikilink to find out about me. Now, I was born in a little small town called Clifton Forge, Virginia. And uh, I don't remember much about my childhood in Clifton Forge, but I do remember that I grew up in a town called Lowmore, Virginia. Now, Lowmore was a small town between Covington and Clifton Forge. It was uh, eight miles from Covington, and it was uh, four, mi four miles from Clifton Forge. We live in a little, what you call, in the old days, you call them like a, a slave shack. I mean, it had dirt floors. Uh, you have wooden walls, and in the winter time, we we didn't get much snow up in the uh, up up in the hill. Uh, they call it the Allegheny Mountains. You got the Allegheny uh, Mountains, and you got uh, 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 you got the Blue Ridge Mountains, and uh, it was all mountain region. I mean, right on the the, the border of uh, if you looked up on your map, look at Lomore, it's right on the border of uh, Virginia and West Virginia. So this is kind of like northern uh, uh, 
Northwest Virginia, where I raised up at, where life in at that time in the fifties and in the sixties was hard for everybody. I mean, I used to wake up at nighttime uh, whenever it snowed and shake snow off my blanket because the snow would come through the cracks of, of the house. We didn't have running water. So what you had to do, you had to lower a bucket down in the well. The well sat out in the front of the yard and you draw that water in and that was the water you used to wash with and to drink with. Now, my mother had nine kids. So you have what's called a foot tub. So you take that water, you heat it up, heat it up on the stove. Uh, you heat that water, that's, I, I, this is my neighborhood, you heat that water up on the stove, you dump it in, and you take a bath. Well, every, every one of my brothers always wanted to be the first, <laughs> the first in that bath water. You can understand why. Because with nine kids, by the time you got to that nine kid, you were taking a mud bath. <laughs> so if you're the first kid, then only you get fresh water, you got to draw more water, set it on the stove, heat it up, and pour it into this foot stuff. Now, you know how all you guys, when you want to use the restroom or something, you just get up and just walk through the house or walk you know, down the hall and use the restroom. We didn't have that. We have what's called an outhouse. Now, the outhouse was set on the outside away from your house. So you wanted away from your house and, and you used the house out. Uh, but at nighttime or in the wintertime, they had a slop bucket, as we call it, that, that was underneath the bed. And you take that slop bucket and you set on that bucket. You do what you got to do. In the morning, you got to go dump that bucket. That's how you, we used the bathroom when I was a kid. Now, <laughs> one day, uh, we used to play jokes on each other, too. I got to tell you the jokes we used to play. My brother would go, like, and kill a snake, you know, and I'm sitting in the outhouse, you know, looking around. You got to look for snakes when you live in Virginia. You know, you, you have water marks on, you have copperheads, you have snakes that would bite you and kill you. You know, there were a lot of poisonous snakes down uh, down south, you know. So my brother, them, they, they, they used to light, uh, uh, set something on fire and and stick it underneath the, the, the outhouse and smoke would come in the outhouse and he, they, would, they would lock the door from the outside where I came at and they'd holler, fire, fire, and I'm banging on the door, I'm trying to get out, you know, and, and, you know, with my pipes halfway down to my knees. That was another joke. Sometimes they would catch a snake and they would kill it and they would throw it in there and shut the door on me real fast. Ah, jump up there. So, but we had fun teasing, <laughs> teasing each other. Thing. Well, one time I did something that was not a joke. It was an accident. I got up. I had to go to the restroom real bad, real bad. So I got up and um, I kicked over that slop jaw, jaw, and everything that was in it from all the kids, my grandmother, my mom, just went everywhere. It was all over the floor. My grandmother never got mad at Dana Light, was mad at me that day. She said, boy, if you don't get up there and clean that mess up, you better. I'm going to tie your hat on the pieces. If you don't clean that up, boy, you get up there, you clean that up right now. <laughs> I go, you're okay, grandma. Okay, grandma. So I got teased. By the, the my brother, they call me Stinky because I stunk up the house. I, I was called Stinky for for a long, a long, long time. Then I remember one day I never saw my father yet, and I think I was around. Oh my goodness, how old was I when the first time I saw him? I'm just making a guess here. I want to say I was seven. The first time I, I I saw my dad, and he came 
And my mother said, your dad is coming home today. I want you kids to clean up the yard, you know, clean things up. So we said, okay, mom. So I was out sweeping the yard. Now, our yard was dirt. The, inside our house, we didn't have wooden floors or floors like you guys got. Like I said, it was old slave shacks where the slaves lived in years and years ago when America had slaves. So the floor was dirt. So I would try to get out of cleaning, doing my chores. So uh, how my mother knew if I swept the floor, because if with a dirt floor, when you step on it, dust would come up if it had not been uh, swept. But if you sweep it, when you step on it, no dust came up. So my mother, when she stepped on that floor, she see that dust rise up from the floor. And every move you make, dust will keep rising, rising. By the end of the day, the whole house is full of dust. You can see it. it's like a, a cloud. It's like a dust storm being in your house. And then another thing, we had these old uh, stove that... At, at, at the end of the year, your walls could be white or blue or green, no matter what color your walls is. At the end of at the end of winter, your walls were black because they had to suck. Would get all over everything on your clothes, on everything. Don't you know suck? So that was the every year you had to definitely the spring cleaning. Then you had to clean the wall, clean the suck off off, off everything. But anyway, the first time I saw my father, he walked in. He had a three piece suit on. I was sweeping the front yard. And a, a guy lived across the street, lived with Miss Keisha. And his name was Tippy Tom because we called him Tippy Tom because he was real, real tall. He probably about 6'6", six, six, but back back in the 50s, you know, a guy 6'6", six, six, or in the 50s, 6th was considered, you know, a pretty tall guy. You know, not like today, you know, we got seven footers. But back then, if you were 6'6", six, six, you was considered a pretty tall guy. So we called him Tippy Tom. He was carrying two water pails. And he looked at me and said, boy. You know who that man is? And I said, well, I'm not sure, but I think that's my dad. He said, yeah, that's your dad, boy. So then I came up, and I said, how you doing, dad? He said, you know who I am, boy? I said, yeah, I, I, I know who you are. He said, where your mom? I said, she's at work. He said, I got something for you, boy. Come here. He gave me a, play, a payday candy bar. That was the first thing I ever got from my father. And the only thing I've got, never gave me anything out that play that, that, that candy bar, gave me that candy bar. So then he came home, him and my mom, they got along for a little while. He went out to look for work, but in Lowmore, if you didn't work for the railroad, the only other work you did was uh, for farmers. You know, go work for the different farmers because there was there was only one store that was called the Commissary. It was owned by the North and Western Railroad. So he... If things didn't work out too well for him, he just kept getting angrier and angrier. So he tried to make the best of it. So I'm on one day, he's going to plant a garden. So me and him, we went way out. We dug up. We didn't have tractors or cultivated stuff. So we used a pick, a rake, and a hoe. He did it all manual. Three three items here. A, 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 a rake, a, a, a hoe, and a pick. That was it. Use a pick to break it up. You pick all the rocks out. Then you use a hole to make the rows and everything. And just smooth it out with the rake. And then you cut your trenches. You plant your stuff. Well, anyway, we had a cherry tree sitting there. So I said, oh, that's pretty nice. Them cherries look good. I ain't eating all day long. I'm going to go get me some cherries. So I walk across my dad's garden to get these cherries. So when my dad came home, came back. And he was drunk. I don't know where he get money for liquor from. And came home drunk. And who been in my garden? So 
I didn't want my brothers to get in trouble, so I said, I did. I said, I wanted to get some cherry. He whooped the hell out of me that night. I got my first whooping by my dad. So my dad gave me two things when he came home, a candy bar and an ass whooping. So that's my meeting with my father. One day, my dad said, boy, you want to make some money? I said, yeah. He said, come on with me. So we go down to a place called Scrapper's Corner in Lowmore. If people that live in that area, they know what I'm talking about, especially the older people. And what they do, the railroad men with Gamma at this corner. See, they didn't have nightclubs and places like that for black people to go to. So you have to make the best of, of what you have. So they had this corner where all the black guys would hang out after work and everything. They stay there till you know, 12, 1 o'clock uh, uh, in the morning. And they shoot dice. They were, dice was the thing. They're shooting that dice, you know. So, and they have fights. Stage fight, you know, like boxing and stuff like that. So my dad said, the moment I taught you how to hit a man, because my dad had a belief. He said, if he ever hit you and you don't go down, he's going to walk around behind you to see what's holding you up. That was his, he believed, you know, he boxed a little bit in the military. He was a cook in the military, but he was on the boxing team too. So he knew exactly how to, to where to strike that. Tell me to catch him right on that chin right there. You hit him hard, you get right on that chin. Forget about all this here. Don't hit him in the head. You're going to hurt your hand. Catch him right on that chin. So I would try to put my weight behind and hit you right on that chin to knock you out. And then he told me I was going to fight this guy. And they bet some money. It was $5 on the table. Black man, for a black guy, $5, that was a lot of money. That was a weak pay for most people back in them days. So I wanted that. My dad wanted that five bucks. So he said, boy, if you lose this fight, you're going to get it worse when you got home. So I kept fighting this guy. I just wouldn't give up. He busting my lip, blacking my eyes. He beating the crap on me. Finally, I saw that open, and I co-copped him. I saw his leg gives a little bit, and I hit him again. His leg gives him more, and then I just drew back, gave him everything out there. I dropped him. I dropped him. I was so proud of myself. I couldn't hardly stand up myself, you know. I was sore for a week. You know, my mother wanted to kill him for, for doing that to me, you know. But anyway, he got his $5. Fairly one day, the last time I, up to the last time I saw my dad. Can I cut in here? Yes. What did you get? Because you said he would be, you, he asked if you wanted to make some money. I didn't. Did well, you I, get any of that? Yeah, I, I got some fat back and some, and, and, and some navy beans. <laughs> <laughs> you go out. See, back then, we call it fat back. You see it now, they call that salt pork. But they sell you a little bit of square like like, like this now, and they want a whole lot of money. We get a slab was that big, and you slice it like you slice bacon, and you get that pork belly. We, all, we call all that fat back. Most, well, even bacon is mostly fat if you stop and look at it. And they would slice it, and, 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 that, and, that, and it would last you a long time. And we fry that, that that fat back and put it in some, some them navy beans, and that's what I got out of it. I think you could get back in them days, everything was sold by the bushel. There was no pounds. So if, if, when you went and bought a ham, you bought a ham that had the tail on it and the foot on it. I mean, that ham was, was like this, not one of these little, y'all buy shanks, but we bought a ham. So when you bought ribs, you bought the whole side of a cow. You know, it wasn't like what you get now. And when you went out back veggie, you got a bushel basket and they filled the bushel basket up. So finally, the last time I saw my dad, he came home one day drunk. And what he did, he went to my mother's job and got her check. And my mother said, have you seen your dad? And all of them go, no, ma'am, no, ma'am, I, I, I didn't, didn't see my dad. So finally, my dad came home drunk. My mother said, I want y'all kids going there and make me a fire. 
So we had this big wooden stove. We started throwing wood into this wooden stove, getting it nice and hot. The stove got hot. We said, Mom, the stove hot. She said, not hot enough. Not hot enough. More, more, more. My mom, it's August. We're sweating. Said, mom, come on. Do what I say, boy. Don't let me tell you again. My mother always said that. Don't let me tell you again. We knew what she said that. She won't tell you again. <laughs> the next time she tell you, you're with that switch. You know, my mother was not, uh, how you say, uh, there, there was no democracy. <laughs> you want democracy? Don't live in my mother's house. Dictatorship. Dictatorship. That, that, that was it. You know, she she was Putin. My mom was never been a Putin. <laughs> yeah, none of, none of that stuff we do over here with Pam, my mother. While you're under my roof, my roof. But anyway, we got that stove as hot as we could get it. And they said, okay, you kids go on outside. Here come my dad. Drunk, cursing, and everything. Now, my dad was a tough guy. You know, he was part Scottish, uh, part Scottish, and part uh, part black. And he was a regular, couldn't nobody in town beat my dad. Couldn't nobody in that whole town beat my dad. And my mother knew what a good fighter he was. He was a hell of a hell of a fighter. He was known for his fighting. He would, that was his reputation in the neighborhood. Fighting and womanizing. That was my dad. Good fighter and a womanizer. So my dad came home. My mother said, you kids going out in the yard play. So we out there on the porch and we scared to death because we think mom's going to beat up, going to beat up my dad. So all of a sudden we hear some rumbling, 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 rumbling. And we we thought my mother, you know, we, and my brother Noah said, let's go get him. We all going to jump on my dad. All of a sudden I hear my dad screaming and hollering. I go, holy Christ. So we open up the door. My mother had grabbed him by the back, grabbed him by the leg picked him up on her shoulders like this and set his butt on that hot stove. <laughs> she got it. We, now, we have to get mom off of him. <laughs> mom, you going to burn daddy up? <laughs> daddy on fire. <laughs> and when you mama, you gotta go that well to get water. <laughs> they ain't like you go to the speaker, turn the water. My dad took off running. Now, here come my mother right behind him. We didn't know she had this. She went under her mattress and pulled out a Smith and Reston 38 with a long ass bar. <laughs> then we hear bang, bang, bang. We said, oh, Lord, Mom just killed Dad. Daddy's dead. My mother come back in the house and said, your father is the luckiest man in the world that bullets cannot turn corners. I didn't see my dad no more until I was 21. <laughs> Never came back out there. My mother gonna book. She gonna bust lead in my pops now. I'm surprised. Uh, you oh man. Oh, yeah. See, this was what life was like when I was a kid. See, I said there's a lot of people. Uh, uh, Seventy-five percent of black kids grew up without a father. So my mother said, "Son, now that your father is gone, I have to be both." father and mother to you. Now, it's a father's job to teach their kids how to protect themselves and how to be self-sufficient. That's the father's job. Mothers too, but more morely the father. So I remember one day, my brother Walter, he's still living, living in a rollout. He could tell this same story. This guy named Buzz Sawyer jumped on Walter. Walter was probably about six or seven. You know, we were kids. You know, none of us were 12 years old then. We were all, you know, between the age of five, ten. And my mother said, look, I can't be here every day to protect you, you boys. Y'all got to learn how to protect yourself. So 
My mother said, well, well where is he? And he had a, 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 a father that had one leg. I think they were John Thomas or something like that, one leg. And uh, my mother said, you kids come with me. I'm going to teach you all how to protect yourself. So <clears throat> she took us down to the creek. The creek had dried out with nothing in there but rocks. She said, get them water pails and fill these water pails up with rocks. So we got them water pails, you know, fill them up with rocks. She said, don't make this so heavy where you can't carry it now. You want to, but you want to have enough rocks in there. So I get the rocks and, and we walk behind my mother and everything. And we think mother going to kick his butt. So all of a sudden we saw John Thomas walking with his crutches, you know. So then my mother said, okay, rock him. Said, what? Rock him. What do you think? Take a rock and throw it. Hit him. Hit him with them rocks. So all of us kids started throwing rocks at this old man. And he's running down the street with them crutches like this. Trying to bunch of little kids running behind him. And we rocked the hell out of that old man. He messed my little brother up. And then, then his son, who was probably about 18 or 19, he's going to get involved in my mom. Getting in her car. She had a 1949 Chevrolet, uh, what's it called? A halfback. You know, when it came straight down like that. So with this old abandoned church, he, and my mother chased him, trying to run him over with the car. He run inside the church. My mother drive the car up the freaking step through the church after him. <laughs> Big B drove that car up the freaking step through the freaking door. Right after this old, right after the sun. So my mother, when he ran out the other end of the church, the car came out behind him. Like what you see in a freaking movie or something. Cracked her windshield and every damn thing. So when he came to the other side, my mother said, don't let him get away. Rock him too. So we started rocking him too. So that's how my mother taught us how to protect ourselves. <laughs> if you mess with our kids, you're going to get rocked. We didn't have no guns or knives or nothing, but we fist fight every day. I remember the the first time I got in a fight, uh, and I this guy named Ursa Goffer. Now I was probably about seven or eight at the time. Ursa was probably about fifteen or sixteen years old. He was about ten years older than me. He was like a bullet guy. He was probably about five foot ten, maybe six feet. Great basketball player, uh, light skinned guy. You know, one of them real bright skin, kind of like Ernie Ladd, real light like Ernie Ladd. So anyway, we got into it over ice cream. There was this guy across the street would take and make his own ice cream. Had an ice cream turner. We put the salt and all the stuff in to make the ice cream. And so he had one ice cream left. So he gave it to me. Roger of Ursa Goffin already had his ice cream, but because I was a small kid, he said, you're going to take my ice cream. So he took my ice cream. Me and him got in a fight. He beat the crap out of me. I've never been whooped so bad in my life. So I went home and my mother saw me busting the old black eyes. Lips, you know, my head looked like a Hershey bar. I had so many knots on it. So I said, what happened to you, boy? I said, well, I got in a fight. She said, with who? I told her who I got in a fight with. She said, did you win? I go, no, ma'am. Do you run away? I go, yes, ma'am. She said, come on with me, boy. So my mother take off walking. <clears throat> now, remember, my mother was five foot eight, 300 pounds. They used to call her Big B. So Big B took off. Come on. No, come on with me. Boom. Boom, boom. That's how she walked. Boom, boom, boom. 
Boom. In fact, I walk just like my mom. If you ever met my mom, everybody would say, that boy walked like his mom. When you see me walk to the ring, that's how my mom walk. Vince McMahon is imitating my walk now, which is my mother's walk. He don't know he's walking like my mom. <laughs> Every time he go down the ring, I said, look at him walking like my mom. I walk like my mom. So anyway, when we get to the garden, my, my mother said, where's that boy that beat you up? I said, that's him. She said, you mean that old tall, high yaller? We call him high yaller, you know, which, which really means mulatto. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, get him. So I looked at my father, Bobby, just beat me. She said, I don't care. You go out there and you fight him again. So I went out there and I fought him again. He kicked the crap out of me again. So my mother patting me on the back. You did good, boy. Now tomorrow, I want you to do the same thing all over again. What are you talking about, mom? She said, I want you to keep fighting him until he quit. I said, mom, why would he quit? He keep, I he beat my butt. Family just went on for about three or four days. Three or four days. And, uh, one day I came, and he saw me coming, and then I said, oh, here come Tony. And they knew it was going to be a fight. My mother said, jump him every time I see him. So every time I saw him, I jumped for about three or four days. Finally, he told me, he said, Tony, tell your mom you won today. I, I don't want to fight you no more. And I got the name of, of uh, being crazy. In fact, my nickname was Argo, because I would volunteer. Anytime there was a fight, somebody said, anybody want to fight? Argo. <laughs> I go. I do. I would volunteer for anything. I don't like a, a Virginia, Tennessee. You know, volunteer. Believe it or not, I did that same thing. That stuck with me not only just in my childhood, but in my adulthood. When I got into a scrape uh, with Saito, uh, Mr. Fuji partner, and me and him got a fight, and we fought for three or four days. Finally, Vince McMahon Senior called us into the office, and he said, "Look, if you guys fight." The next time you got a fight, he said, Tony, I'm going to fire you. Saido, you going back to Japan. So if y'all fight again, you both are done here. You know, this is not, you know, I don't want no more fighting in the dress room. And so that led into, you know, uh, my later years. Now, I remember one story. I was around six. I know I'm all over the place because this is my childhood. I hope some of y'all be able to follow me. We had a church. Uh, they had no playground. So we had a church that we would go to, and we play baseball, and we would do stuff. And uh, like I said, when we worked, you didn't get money. Like, you get day, there was what's called horse training. So if I go and help you pick tomatoes, at the end of the day, you give me a bushel basket of a tomato. If I go and help you clean out, if I go clean out your chicken coop for you, which I hate doing because chicken poop is the worst in the world, then at the end of the day, you would give me a couple of dozen of eggs. And they was in these crates, you know, these egg crates. So you had, oh my goodness, 24, 48, you had about 100 eggs. There were about 100 eggs there. So you take them home, the guy said, oh, you take these home to your mom, boy, and bring my crate back. Because they want the crate. You can have the eggs, but bring that crate back. If they gave you a bush of basses or green beans or whatever you did, they gave it to them. I used to love when they slaughter hogs. When we go to slaughter hog, they would give you a ham or they'd give you a big slab of ribs. You know, you they gave you stuff. Uh, and there was no money at chain. Well, most of this food was called horse trading. They would come back to mom, Miss, Miss James, I'd like to use your boys to do something. So one day, this guy named Red Eye Hinton, and we all knew he was an old clansman. He was really involved with the KKK at the time. He was proud about it, too. I mean, he walked around in his uniform. All, you know, he, you know, he was proud about being, being a clansman. But he was a nice guy, and my mother liked him because he gave us boys work. One day, we had to go to, to um, get up some hay for him. We were going to get up some hay for, for his horses. Well, after we get up the hay and everything, it was time for him to pay us. Well, he had two sons, Harold and Ron Hinton. Ron was okay, but Harold was a mean little son of a bitch. 
So Harold, he was hair lip. I don't know if y'all hear hair lip. I don't mean to make fun of nobody that talk, but I'm going to do it just so the fans understand what I'm saying. Harold would come and say, Get him, get him, get him, You boy, no hand and get that hand, damn hand up. You old stupid looking nigga, you. They all call me nigga all the time. You little nigga. Come on, you little nigga. Is that a cleft lip? Yeah, yeah. We call it a hair lip. Yep. In the South, yeah, we call that a hair lip. Yeah, you little nigga. Move that hand. Move that hand, nigga. Come on, nigga. They kept on messing with me. So, Fanny, it was time for us to get something. We don't move all that hay for him. The job was done. Seven o'clock in the afternoon, we're sitting around waiting for Red Eye Hinton to come and give us something. Red Eye said, run them off. Run them niggas off my lot. So old Harold and Ron, they just saw throw rocks at us. So I remember my mom said, I had some rocks in my pocket. Now, I probably couldn't have done this again in a hundred years. I just stopped, turned, and I threw one rock. Hit old Harold right in the freaking head. Put a knot on him like this. He started crying. He ran home. So that I thought that would be the end of. So he had two fields. Old Red Eye hit. So he had this small field. He said, "Miss B, I need to use your boys." My mother said, "Well, you didn't give him nothing last time. Are you sure you're gonna pay him this time? Don't worry. I'm gonna your boy gonna get exactly what coming to him. You watch, Miss B. I'm gonna make sure he get what what coming to him." My mother said, well, "Thank you, there, Mister Hinton, because you were very respectful." My mother was, and uh, back then, you better be. They burn your house down back then. You know, come in and beat the hell up. My father was gone with just my mother and us kids, so she was very very polite to these old white men. You know, so anyway, make a long story short. We finished that small field, and uh, here come an old red eye hinting on his tractor. Hey, boy, I hear you jumped my boys when they wasn't looking and caught them off guard. I want you to fight them now, and you better not hit them back. They're going to get even with you for what you did to them. You better not fight them back. So back up a little bit. We got in a fight earlier. I threw a rock at him. Then they tried to jump me. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Then they tried to jump me in the back of that church. Well, when I was in the back of that church, I started fighting them. Boom, 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 boom. I'm just swinging. I don't know what I'm hitting. I'm just swinging, swinging, swinging. So I hear people in the crowd say, look at Tony go. That got me going more. You know? Look at Tony go. Oh, he's whooping both of them. Oh, wow. Look at that Tony. Boy, he's a good fighter, just like his dad. Boy, he's beating both of them. He's beating both of them. So I beat him up. That's when Red Eye Hinton and all the all the black people. I was the hero of the black neighborhood. Oh yeah, Tony, you really put it to them. Yeah, you stood up. Yeah, right on. I mean, I was everybody was petting on the back, petting, you know, giving me stuff to eat, and you know, I was a big hero in town. Then here come old Red Eye Hinton on his truck. He said, "Miss B, I want to use your boy. I want that one there." So he picked me. I went with him, and uh, when I got there. I cleaned the field for him, and he said, I hear you jump my boys uh, behind the church when they wasn't looking, and you beat them up when they wasn't looking. I said, no, sir, uh, they jumped me first. He said, you calling me a liar, boy? I said, no, sir, I wouldn't do that, sir. I, I definitely, he was a big man, too, maybe about 350 pounds, maybe even 400 pounds. He was just a big, big old man. So I was scared to death for him anyway. So he said, "I want y'all. I want y'all. Y'all, my boys." I said, "Okay, you boys. You beat. You beat that nigga." So they started jumping on me, hit me. I go, "That's enough. That's enough, Mister Hinton. 
Mr. Hinton, that's enough, Mr. Hinton. So finally, he wouldn't listen to me. So I started doing what I did in the park. I started swinging, fighting back. Next day, I know I felt a sharp pain in my back. He had stabbed me in the back with a pitchfork and drove me to the ground. And then his son started kicking me and beating while he held me down with that pitchfork. Here's the part that got me. When I got up from there, there were probably about 10 or 15 black men and women standing around watching. This white man pulled me down while these two white boys kicked the shit out of me. And this one, at first they were bragging about how well I fought the two boys. But then when the, when the father got involved, now, this is what they were saying about me now. I knew that Tony was a troublemaker. He's nothing but a troublemaker. He had no business jumping on them boys. He could have walked away from that fight. He didn't have to do that fight because they now they're afraid that this man going to retaliate against them too. So right then and there, I knew that I was pretty much on my own. And my mother told us, you never hang your dirty laundry out to dry. She said, the only person that's going to protect me is me. And I, I learned that early on as a young kid. But anyway, moving on with the story, uh, there might be, I may go back and forth to, to Lone War, but that's pretty much how my childhood was. By the time that I was 12 years old, I must have been in about 30 fist fights before my 12th uh, uh, birthday. It was everyday thing. You go out to play basketball, you got a little jingle in your pocket, the guy would jump. I remember one time we went out, took a train. Me and my brother. And most time, you know, it was segregation. So black kids couldn't go into the white neighborhood. So my brother, Norris, was pretty smart. He said, I got an idea. I said, what? That's us become ghosts. And I said, I don't want to be no ghost. No, no, it, it's going to work. We're going to become ghosts. So we took these sheets and we cut little holes in it and put it over top of us. Then we went into the white neighborhood to get the good candy. Because in the black neighborhood, all we got was that homemade stuff. On Apple, <laughs> you didn't get that good candy like we saw on TV. You just saw that Bay Root, them Hershey bar, they were out mouth. But we, my mother couldn't afford none of that, so it was always some homemade taffy or some rock candy or some peanut butter. I like the peanut butter, but everything was homemade, which we got all the time, and that's what our apple or orange. We didn't get the candy we saw on TV. So now you go to the white neighborhood, you get the you get the good candy. So we're in the white neighborhood, get the good candy. As I was coming back. Some of the older kids that was at the teenage boy, they jumped us and they took our candy away. You know. And then I said, man, I got to find out something to to uh, make myself, you know, bother at what I do. So after living in Lowmore, Coverton, and Clifton Fords in my earlier years, there's a lot more that I could say, but uh, I don't have the time to do it. I got uh, these I, people came. In? Yes. How about you? You've talked about your brother. Mm -hmm. You haven't actually talked much about him specifically. Tell us about your, all your brothers and your sisters. Well, I, uh, my mother had nine kids. When my when my father separated from my mother, he took the girls and one boy. There was three girls. They were triplets. My mother didn't want to break up the triplet, and there was a boy and a girl which were twins, Shermer and Shirley, and they got sent away when I was probably around five years old and and i i've never seen them a day in my life you know i'm an old man now i got i got four sisters and one brother which i never see because they left with him to, to go to richmond my father went to richmond because he figured you know that was a butter place he tried to get my mother to go with him but my grandmother 
did not want to live in the city. She was born as a country girl. She was going to die as a country girl. So she wanted to stay uh, in the country, even though there was no work for my dad. My dad went and eventually got a, a job at, at Philip Morris, the tobacco place up in uh, uh, Richmond, worked for Philip Morris. But uh, after he left, I got in a fight. I had to learn how to protect myself and everything. So finally, these people came to the house because uh, I came to school the dirty all the time. Uh, I took a bath maybe once every month or two. I mean, a bath for like a month and a thing to me. I never combed my hair. First time I combed my hair, I was 12 years old. We didn't have combs. So we just get in that tub and you wash off and that was it. In the summer, you go jump in the creek. Because like I said, you didn't have showers. You have to haul that water from the well, heat it. You know how many buckets you have to dump in that tub to fill up that tub, you know? You have about 10 buckets you have to, before, and then out the three people, it ain't water no more, it's mud. You're taking a freaking mud bag, you're more dirty going in and then coming out. You know, that's, that, that was life, not just for black people, it was just life for a lot of, you know, poor people, white and black, Jewish, Indian, no matter what you were, that was life in Roanoke for, for a lot of people. So, they, they, they sent me to this place, they're called the Virginia Negro Baptist Trinity Home. And that's where, really, where my development came. This was life at the Baptist Trinity Home. You get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. At 6, you got to feed all the, the animals and let the cows out to pasture. Slop the hog, feed the chicken. Feed the, the horses, the mules, whatever animal they had. They had horses, mules, and animal. We'll call the Virginia Negro Baptist General. And I think it was on Route Flat 5 in Chesterfield, Virginia. Chesterfield is up near Petersburg. It's not it's on outside of Petersburg. So you get up at five o'clock in the morning. At six, you you feed you feed up, they call it feed up. At seven, you have breakfast. At eight, you're in the fields. Working, you know, we we cut, we haul put wood. We we worked in the field. They had six hundred some acres of farmland, and 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 you did farm work all day long. And at eleven o'clock, and no, was eleven? Yeah, eleven thirty, eleven thirty to twelve thirty, you would have lunch, and then from four thirty to five thirty, you would have dinner, and then at six, you would feed up. You know, and the thing about cows. Every day, I went to this and told him to go get the cows. And we must have had about 20 or 30 heads of cows there. So he said, go get them cows. I would walk to the field. The cow would see me. They started coming on their own. They just knew it was time to come home. They would, they would just leave leave the field and start walking back to the pen all, all by themselves. All they do is just walk out that field and the cows would see me and they started coming. They just knew it was time and time, time. Uh, to go. Another thing I learned uh, at that place, I had a dog named Duke. He was a puppet. And the guy that ran the place was Mr. Garden Harris. I said, Mr. Harris, can I keep that puppet? They said, well, his mother died and we were going to give him away to, you know, one of these places where they say dogs and stuff. Come, can't feed. I said, I'll take care of Mr. Mr. Garden. So he said, you sure? It's a lot of work. I said, yes, sir. He was a boxer. It was, it was brown and white boxer named Duke. So 
Me and Duke was the best of friends. I mean, Duke went everywhere with me. I mean, I tried to get him to sleep with me. I used to slip him in, slip him in the, the dormitory uh, late at night. They could catch, see, see old Duke that I got in trouble from bringing Duke in the house and all this and that stuff. So I would take Duke everywhere I go. Finally, one day, Duke was out, and this guy had these two German shepherds. He was he used to train uh, police dogs for the military and uh, and for police, you know, attack dog, big old German shepherd. Where Duke got in a fight with both of them, and they bit a big plug out of his uh, out of his hip, and Duke died. And after Duke died, it broke my heart so much. I never got another dog. I, I just couldn't have another dog. Then we had a bull named Tweaking. See, all these animals we have, they were what called black Angus. They had no horn. They were black Angus. And Tweaker was, I mean, Tweaker looked like Andre. I mean, he was a huge, huge bull, you know. And at nighttime, he used to break out all the time. So finally, what they had to do with Tweaker, I remember getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning. We had to take a rope and put it around his back ankle and trip him so he go down. And they put a big ring in his nose. The other way at night they could tie Twinkin up so he don't he don't get up. Once they got it on that, you know, all the other cows would follow him and they get hit by a car or something. So they had to put a ring in on. Then we had a mule named Tom. And I want to tell y'all something. I am dumber than a mule. <laughs> the first time Mr. Harris told me, he said, Tony, I want you to go get get Tom. We gotta do some cultivating today. We gotta plow them field. We didn't have tractors then. We had one tractor, but we still used the old mule. So I went to get old Tom. Tom was slew-footed because he didn't have no horseshoes. Slew-footed meaning the foot, with the, the, his, his hoof would turn up, like like the slew-footed, they call it. And uh, you had to clip them. They had a thing that would cut the, cut the hoof because they would just spread out, you know. And so Tom was smart. He knew that we were going to make him work. He didn't want to work. So one day... They told me, he said, Tony, I want you to go get Tom and put the blanders on. The blanders two things you put like that. Put them blanders on old Tom. So I said, okay. I didn't listen. Hard head, make a softer head. I got a whoop for not doing that uh, by, by Mr. Harris. But anyway, make a long story short, I hook up the singer tree to him, hook him up and everything. If I bring Tom out the bar, Tom started limping. He's limping. Mr. Harris saw this, oh, put him back in the bomb, get Susie Q. Susie Q was a red mule, but it was a female mule, but Susie Q would run with that plow. Like she was just, she wasn't mature yet, she was a young mule, so you hooked the plow, and she would run with that plow, you know, the work, the work, hell of a working mule. Tom be limping. So at the end of the day, we're going to put Susie Q up. Mr. Harris said, Tony, come over here, I want to show you something. So I look out in the field, here's old Tom walking around. Nothing wrong with him. Tom turned his head and saw us. Tom go. <laughs> <laughs> He's selling. <laughs> when he saw us, he went right back to limping again. You know, ain't nothing wrong with Tom. He said, I said, man, I thought mules were stupid. He said, no, he said, horses are stupid. You hook a horse up to a plow, up stump. He reports, hey, kill himself. He ain't got sense enough to stop. A mule would pull a little bit. And if he don't hear that popping in that wood, or that, if that don't start to move, he stop. He ain't gonna move until you dig around that stump a little bit. And once you start to dip, he said, "Help here, mule." And he try again. If he don't hear that wood start popping, he stop again. You pull right there, and then he pull, 
And all of a sudden, he hear that popping, and then he he and then, and then, and then, and then he dig in there, cause he know he could do it. And, and boy, us kids who get excited, it's, all right, Tom, here man, Tom, here man, you. So Tom started digging in, and we get a holler, and Tom dig in, and when he when that long, when we finally get that stump out, we celebrate, and that damn mule celebrate too. He's happy, so he's fighting in the can all. You know, that's what old Tom would do. Then we take him out the barn, we brush him down. He's happy as hell. Another time. I went to get old Tom. Tom got between me and the wall. And I'm going to put them blanders on him. Tom just did this to me. He laid on me. It's like that. Now, Mr. Harris, everybody said, where's that Tony? Wait, he's, he's ducking work again. He's ducking work again. They said, no. Tom won't let him out. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to call him. Yo, Tom, yo. So I hit Tom on the ass to get him off it. They said, don't you ever get between you and old Tom at that wall. Say, Tom, I'm going to outsmart you every time. You don't have the sense of a mule, boy, which I didn't. So then was some story. Another thing that I, that we did at the Virginia Negro Baptist Church home was fight. They would draw a circuit. You have a disagreement with someone. They would draw a circuit in the, in the dirt. And whoever had a two disagreement, you two, y'all get in. You can't grab each other. It got to be not but physical. And we just keep fighting until one person give up or one person almost uh, getting hurt. The funny thing about some of these childhood stories that I tell you, like, like I wouldn't, that if you fight me today, you got to fight me tomorrow. Happened to me in wrestling with Saido. Well, believe it or not, it happened. this happened to me again. Went from the Baptist Chimney home to Mid-South. Bill Watts was that way. You had a disagreement. He put the guy would circle you in the middle of the dressing room, and you fight it out. After the fight is over, I don't want to hear no more about it. It's kind of odd that what I learned at the Baptist Children's Home became stuff. The same thing happened to me in the world in the world of uh, uh, wrestling. And like the same thing with Red Eye Hinton when I turn around when I work and not get paid. Same thing happened in wrestling, and even Larry and a lot of wrestlers tell you, you go work for a promoter, and in a day, the promoter like Nick Gutis tried not to pay me and Tommy Rich. I went to Africa, got stuck, didn't get paid. Uh, I've been in a lot of places where you know I got screwed all my money, including North Carolina and Virginia. So it was like history. My childhood came back around, weird kind of string in the uh, restaurant. So I stayed at the Baptist Children's Home later on yesterday. Why don't you go back and say why you went to the Baptist show? Because I was all nasty and dirty, and the kid was complaining about how I smell. So they turned me over to the state. So the state told my mother, said, we got to take two of the boys from you. So they saw me and Charles. Walter with the baby stayed. My brother Norris left. He went to the job corps first. And then at 15, he had my mother sign paper. So he go to the military. He served 35 years in the uh, United States Army. My brother Norris, you know, he's retired now. He lives in Washington State. I talked to him uh, occasionally. He's he's in his 70s now. Great guy. Not somebody I want to fight with. You know, he was a ranger. He did a lot of special uh, ops stuff. I asked him one time, I said, brother, what you did when you was in America? He's like, he's like, I will tell you, but if I do, I have to kill you. So I didn't ask him. <laughs> okay, whatever you want to say, bro. Then my brother Walter, he stayed at home uh, with my mom. 
And Charles ran away from the Baptist church at home and wouldn't go back. So they they let him stay home through mom. But I, but I stayed, and I fell in love with this girl named uh, Jean Allen, beautiful girl. And I remember getting a fight over her because there was another kid that liked her too. So Mr. Harris said, "Well, y'all have to fight over her. whoever win get to get to take her uh, get get to date her." So I got my butt kicked. So because I was smaller and weaker, but but he he beat me up. I fought him for about a week. Then I got every time I fought him, I got a beat. I fought him. They beat me for fighting. I fought him. I just shit. This ain't working out. Like <laughs> kid. Not like what Mama said. No, it worked out great. These low boys come fall. Ain't working out too good. You know. I said, well, maybe I, I should disobey my mom this one time because I don't know what it's worth. This guy beating the crap out of, of, of Mr. Harold whooping my ass with that strap. So the Baptist Church Home was a great place for me. I went in. When I when I left the Baptist Church Home, oh boy, did I get big. I was 185 pounds when I left there. When I went there, I was probably about a hundred and about a hundred twenty, hundred ten. I mean, I was like a bean pole. I was so tall. Yeah, I was so tall. My mother always told me I should be a basketball player. But then when I came back, I had sixteen inch arms. For, you know, we you know we we saw wood. You know, cross cut saw, swung double X, did a hole, walked behind a mule. I used to take a a a, 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 a they just cut six foot. The, 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 the put wool was six feet. I would take a six foot log, set it on my shoulder, throw it up on the trailer. I threw 200 pound hay bales around. Oh, I'll tell y'all this story before I, before I get out of the, the Baptist Children's Home. Sometimes people would come by the Baptist Children's Home to get kids to do work for them. Now, anybody ever haul hay, know you have to wear a long sleeve shirt. If you don't, the, the hay would scratch up your arm. So I got his long sleeve shirt on, and they and this guy decided he's going to cut the hay while it was still green. Most people don't do that, but he wanted to cut it while it was still green. Why? We don't know. We didn't actually do what he said. So I grabbed one of them hay bales, and I threw it up on the trailer, and it was old black snake in that hay bale. <laughs> and he said, have my damn arm. I took off running and hollering and screaming, and I'm stripping as I'm going. I'm taking my shirt off. I took my pants off. By the time I got to the end of the field, I was standing there buck naked. I ain't had a stitch of clothes on, and I'm still. And where that snake? Because I'm scared to death of snake. Where I'm saying that I still feel that snake, even though he ain't on me no more. So the man that was the, the the white guy that was sitting on his tractor, he laughed, he laughed every time he came by there. He said, "I want that boy there." He said, "He's not the best worker, but he's gonna do something before this day is out. He's gonna do something to make me laugh." Sure enough, the next day I'm gonna help his daughter. She had a what these outdoor thing where you the big flowers got the glass on it. Oh, the greenhouse? Greenhouse. She had a greenhouse, and she made a lot of flowers. She sold them to different places, you know, took them to stores. That was her business. Anyway, she had her son. Me and Charles were there. She had a son that uh, uh, she bought him uh, a, a Zorro outfit. He had a mask, the black hat, the vest, and had a, the little chaps pants, you know. And he had a little six-shooter, you know, fake gun. We're not a real gun. You know, a little cap gun. And he had a whoop. So he come in there. We's in the field. We working. He go, get to work, nigga. Hit me with that damn whoop. Whoa. Get to work, nigga. Hit me with that whoop again. I, you better cut that out. 
So Charles said, you better stop that. I'm telling mom, you go tell what you want, nigga. I hit you too. What? He hit Charles. Charles, get back. I'm going to tell your mom. So Charles hit, he hit Charles again. Charles took off to go get his mom. So he kept hitting me there. What about the man? Stop that. Stop. So if he wouldn't stop, I reached down in my shoes. I took my shoelaces out. I tied them together. And I took my shoelaces. I whooped the hell out of his little white ass. <laughs> his mother came. <laughs> his mother came. What are you doing, my boy? What are you doing, my boy? I'm trying to explain to her. I'm telling your mom, you're going to get a whooping when you get home. Sure enough, I get home, I get a whooping. Because I'm not supposed to hit a white kid. I hit a white kid twice in my life. I hit a white kid both times I got in trouble for it. The old hitting boys. And uh, that's why I like wrestling. I can beat up white people and not go to jail. <laughs> you know, that's my first time beating up white folks and I didn't end up in jail for doing it. But that that was like the way it was uh, when I was a kid. There's a lot more to tell about my life. But then I came home uh, for the Virginia Negro Baptist Children's Home. I came over to Virginia Baptist Trinity Home, and my mother had moved from uh, uh, from Covington. Oh, there's one thing that I want to tell y'all. Uh, I got a, just a few more minutes on this segment. If you ever go to Clifton Forge, there's a rock. There's a rock. I'm going to try to find a picture of it to show y'all with the face of Jesus on it. It was right down the street. What happened, they told me the story, I wasn't there, but old people told me the story, that they were these ministers and deacons, they were out drinking and swearing. All of a sudden, the cloud got dark, it started lightning and thunder, and it rolled off the hill. And uh, when it rolled off the hill, they picked it up, they put this rock on top of another rock, automatically the water started coming out of this rock, it's right there today. I took a picture of it probably about five years ago, got the face of Jesus on it. Nobody carved it, and water is coming out. They they try to cap it off in a cake. They try to move the rock in a cake. That's why I believe in God because I I, and I tell you, I got to tell this story before I end this segment. A guy named Jerry Hayes, uh, me and him and a girl was walking. He liked the girl. I didn't know it. The girl liked me, but she didn't like Jerry. So what ended up happening? If y'all look close, you see there's a dent in my head right here. <laughs> sure see that is. dent? See that dent? And then if you look, you see me, I got a, a crack to go across here. Jerry Hayes pushed me. I told, I was looking, I said, because the creek was dried up. So I said, Jerry, look, the creek had dried up. Jerry came up and said, I'm going to push you. I said, you burn not. So just as I said, you burn not, he pushed me head first. I fell, cracked my skull, and my skull. You could move my skull just like this. I go home to my grandmother. My mother was at work. She said, if you pray to God, um, he would give you what you want. So I asked God to be strong like Samson, built like Hercules, and have a lot of friends and money. I became United States bodybuilding champion, one of the strongest men in the world, and a wrestling star. Everything I asked for in that prayer came true. Another thing I want to tell you, fam, you may not want to believe me. I met a lady probably about 10 years ago in Iron Gate. I ran on outside Cliff Ford. She said, you don't remember me, boy. But me and your grandmother prayed to bring you back. To bring you back. I died at, from that push. Didn't even know it. And came back. According to old people that live around that area. So, so that's why in that area, they always call me the, the gifted one. Because 
I, you know, I faced death when I was six years old. He pushed me in that creek, put that big dent in my head. His name was Jerry Hayes. And everybody around the area, though, they, they thought I was dead. Everybody thought I was dead. My grandmother got me to pray with her. I got down my knees. I prayed my grandmother to be strong like Samson, built like Hercules. And the reason I say built like Hercules, because Samson, according to the Bible, did not have a built. He looked like a normal man. You know, in fact, he was very deceiving. Look, he looked like a weakling, a wimp. He looked like Pee Wee Herman, according to the Bible. Hercules was, was a gladiator, was built up and was built. And a lot of friends, I became everything. When I graduated from high school, I graduated with the same clothes I started school with. And a year later, I was making $75,000 a year, one year after I finished high school. So this is pretty much some of my life when I grew up to be a professional wrestler. Later on, I'm going to get into how I got my start from uh wrestling and how i got started in uh uh weightlifting uh we still got about five more minutes tony yes i got five more minutes to talk to y'all and within them five minutes i i just want to say this first i want to thank marty and the pharaoh for giving me and larry this opportunity like i said before this is my first time doing this and I know a lot of wrestlers uh, that helped me. Uh, a lot of people helped me along the way. And I like to use this broadcast not to to blow my own horn, but to let y'all know that in America, no matter how poor you are, you can be laid raised in a slave shack where you have to go and haul your water. You can have an outhouse. You can have a bucket underneath your bed. You know, you can eat one meal a day. We were so poor that by we used to wait till the end of the day when mother came home from work. My mother worked from seven o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. Every time I see a 7-Eleven show, I would think of my mom because then was her hour from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. But at, at 11 p.m., I got my first meal for that day. And we were so poor, we didn't have dishes. So my mother would put newspaper on the floor and whatever leftover they had for the, for the place, she would dump them on the on that piece of paper and we sat there we had no silverware with our hands and we would eat like just like this and then we crawl underneath our bed and go to sleep but my mother didn't give up on us she stayed in there until we was all big healthy and strong kid her name was miss beatrice james white uh my grandmother was lilia james caswell my father's last name was, was charles my dad was Norris. I got a brother named Norris, a brother named Walter, and a, and a brother named Charles that I knew of. I got a, a brother and a sister named Shirley and Sherman that I never met. I got three sisters that I don't know their names, and I and I never met them. So I've used this opportunity to bring to light some of the people from the beginning of my life up until where I'm at now. So y'all can kind of, when y'all see me, y'all see me more than just being, you know, WWE Tag Team Champion, Rocket Johnson, and Mr. USA. We all know that about the wrestler, but have you ever thought about how did that wrestler grow up? And this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to let y'all know how I grew up. I grew up in poverty. I worked, I worked my butt off, and I believe in my country, and I believe in my God. So, uh, Larry, anything you'd like to say to the fans? Thank the fans for this wonderful segment, Marty and the Pharaoh, for giving us this opportunity. Tony, you've already said it all, man. This They are here to listen to you talk. Right. You tell some great stories. I have been on the road with you for thousands and thousands of miles. And we sat and we talked about all and these stories. we talk stories. about these stories. We talk about every. This is the great. And when I hear them here, it's the same stories I've heard on the road. 
for for years, decades. When, when when next week, you know, after I left the the, the diagnostic, I don't mean to cut you off. Now, after I left the diagnostic center, we didn't even get into the diagnostic. Well, well, that's what I'm getting ready to tell the folks about. I'm gonna tell the people about about my life uh, with the diagnostic center and the comparison between that and the Virginia Negro Baptist Children's Home. And I want to talk to y'all a little bit. I don't know if I'm be offensive by doing it. A little bit about homosexuality. That's one of the things that I learned about at both places. I was not involved in none of it, but some of the things that I saw, and I've seen a lot of it over the years. I've seen a lot of stuff because y'all know I'm kind of goofy anyway. I like for women to step on my face. You know, that's not the, <laughs> the most thing you want to brag about too much. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but, but, but I learned a little thing about these two things, and then there's some things about my own personal experience with uh, pedophile that uh, we will get in on the next section. So I'm trying to use the, the, the first part of, of this thing with Molly to get y'all to understand me, what make me me, why I'm the way I am, why I think the way I am, what happened in my life to make me the way that I am. You know, what happened to you when you're young affects you when you're getting old. So a lot of things that, you know, if you understand a person's childhood, you understand that person because we all raised with different experiences in life. And I'm going to try to share some of my experience. Some I'm very proud of. Some I'm not so proud of because, you know, none of us are perfect. And most definitely I'm not perfect. So I'm just trying to explain to y'all how I grew up and how life was, not just for black people. Because everybody want to make everything black and white. We're all Americans. And poverty hit all of us. All of us get in fights. All of us get robbed. All of us get abused. All of us go through hard times, good times, happy times, sad times. We all do. We're human. We live here on Earth. We live in the greatest country in the history of the world. And once again, if it wasn't for Marty and the Pharaoh, I've, I've been on a lot of shows. Everybody got a flow map for what I need to talk about with Marty and the Pharaoh. They said, Tony, you talk about what you want to talk about. This is your hour. You do it the way you want to do it. So this is going to finish episode number one. Number one. Of Tuesdays with Tony. And like they used to say back in the old days, we'll see you again. Be there.